Welcome to the podcast. We have a lot to go over today. We've got uh, several games to recap. A good portion of the, what year is this? Uh, 2042 season has gone by. We're in week 14 as I record right now. Uh, We also have most of the rookies have revealed their development traits. And we have some development trait games have happened. So we'll cover some of that stuff. And uh, anything else that might be relevant. So... To begin with, we will go to Development Trait News. You know what that sound means. That means it's time to check in on some of the players that have been moving up in the world. The first one we're going to look at, uh, I don't know if he revealed like this last year, or if he moved up after some awards. Uh, I just don't remember, but... Uh, not one that I've been notified of. And and by the way, I think we're kind of slacking on our notifications in Discord, which, I mean, if everybody, you know, is kind of bored with the development trait reports, then that's fine. Uh, I don't mind. Uh, I'll still try to keep up with them as best I can. Uh, But if you want your player talked about, be sure to mention it on the Discord channel. Uh, But the first guy we're looking at is... Robert Overbay for the Browns, and one reason we want to talk about him, he's 22 years old, 79 overall, he's a star, and I don't know if he revealed as a star around the time or maybe before the time the Browns traded for him last year, uh, or if he moved up because of awards. Um, he's a 79 overall, so not even up to 80 yet. Nothing real special to go over here except that uh, I had mentioned earlier, uh, maybe a podcast ago, maybe two podcasts ago, that the Browns uh, were treating Adrian Gonzalez like crap by putting him on the bench while they traded for Overbay just to put him in the game and see what he had. Um, But then the Browns immediately traded Gonzalez away, so, you know, at least letting him start somewhere. I thought they were just kind of jerking him around, putting him on the bench, maybe come back to him. I wondered what that would do to their locker room. Instead, they just traded him away, which that's also got to confuse their locker room, but uh, that's kind of standard practice in our league. Uh, They did trade him into the NFC North, a division in which he'll never win anything ever uh, because that division is owned by the Packers. So they weren't doing him a favor there, Uh, but at least it's kind of standard practice. So Robert Overbay for the Browns is a star. Uh, Right now, a frontrunner to be the league MVP. Uh, he's had some big games. And just Robert Obervay, over Bay, over like flying over a bay, over Bay. Uh, you you add an initial in there, Robert R. Overbay, and he sounds like a novelist. You know, he writes crime mystery thrillers, um, and so really that would mean he's excelling at two careers. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Of course, if you write those kinds of books, then you've got you've to have a, uh, a, a main character that's got a name that can always be used in the title of the book as a pun. So like Robert, Over, Robert R. Overbay writes uh, crime mystery novels uh, with the main character, private detective uh, Kent King. Uh, and those, uh, he's written four of these books, actually. 
and uh, all New York Times bestsellers. Of course, the first one that really burst on the scene, A King's Ransom. Uh, you know, you got to have the the main character's got to have uh, a, a name that can be worked into the title, and then he followed that up with uh, King of Lies. And of course, there there are more. Uh, you know, the the publisher's really happy with that name because there are more that can be used. You can go through a deck of cards and hit all the kings, king of clubs, king of diamonds, king of spades, king of hearts. Those can all be titles of a book, so you can get a lot of mileage out of that name. So, of course, that's what Robert R. Overbay did for his novels. What were we talking about? Uh, oh, yeah, development traits. So, yeah, Robert R. Overbay, uh, quarterback for the Browns, he's a star. Let's see if the Browns have... Any other rookies that uh, are revealed? Oh, no. No rookies revealing their development traits for the Browns because the Browns drafted all normals. So that's too bad for the Browns. Uh, they did have a double development trait game earlier this year. And uh, just to uh, kind of show you how maybe not everything goes perfectly for the Browns sometimes... I believe it was Xavier McBride at right end was going for X-Factor Superstar, and he did not make it in that game. I'm guessing it was a yardage thing, because if they had held the opponent to a certain amount of yardage, he would have gotten it. And sometimes the Browns do that. Sometimes they hold teams to negative yardage, but they must have given up uh, enough yardage to, to fail that uh, that breakout game for Xavier McBride at right end. Uh, but their receiver, Jarrett Wesley, uh, got his, and I imagine he got it with flying colors. So Jarrett Wesley is now an X-Factor 90 overall receiver. Got 96 speed. He's still only 24 years old. And he's got the double me ability. So that's where he'll win contested catches one-on-one -on -one quite often. He's an in-and-out elite, and he's a post-specialist. So... If I know the Browns, that probably means he's playing in the slot. Um, but I have not seen them play this year, so I cannot totally confirm that. So that would be the development trait news for the Browns. Uh, moving on to... I don't remember where we left off with development traits. I'm going to say we're going to Kyrie Cooks here. Kyrie Cooks, I believe the number one pick in the draft, if I remember right, a wide receiver for the Panthers, uh, reveals as a superstar because he has a breakout game. This guy is going to be, he's going to be a big time player in the league, uh, particularly with the Panthers who know what to do with fast receivers. Uh, Kyrie Cooks, let me find him here, 22 years old, six foot one, 95 speed, 96 acceleration, 95 agility. Uh, he is currently an 85 overall. So he's got one ability. He's a post-flag elite, uh, which is something the Panthers really like to do. They especially like those post routes. I like to run that from the slot. And then looks like I don't have anything else for the Panthers at this time. Uh, for the Chiefs, they had a breakout game for running back Jaden Mooney. I think they traded for this guy uh, this year, perhaps. Uh, but Jaden Mooney. Mooney's a funny name. I like it. Uh, Jaden Mooney becomes a superstar. He's 84 overall, 23 years old. Yeah, I think they traded for him because on the roster screen here, uh, 
says there would be no penalty for cutting him, and he's only making $990,000, so they got a bargain there. Uh, 93 speed, 90 acceleration and agility, and his ability is an in specialist at the running back position, which i got to say, that's kind of lame. I don't know how often you're going to see that be useful uh, as a running back. Uh, it almost seems like why even bother allowing that to be an ability for the running back. But it's there, so you know you try to use it the best you can. Uh, which brings me to the Packers and LaRon Harrison, the rookie running back, uh, became a superstar after a breakout game, and he has the exact same ability in specialist. Um, and I did go to practice and try to find out if this in specialist includes the angle route uh, that's very powerful on this game, and it does not. It's just in routes, so uh, no uh, unstoppable angle route there, at least not any more unstoppable than it already is. Uh, but Laurent Harrison did become a superstar, 83 overall at 23 years old, rookie running back, um, and I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. And then for the Patriots, Cam Clay, a rookie corner, reveals as a star. I hope they were putting him on the field and playing him because um, maybe he would have had a chance to move up to superstar, and maybe he still will his rookie year. Uh, but, yeah, just being a star, probably a little disappointed with that, I would guess. Uh, we do have, if I can find it, I believe we have one more for... Packers. But I've forgotten who's on the team. Oh yeah, Kyle Rainey at defensive tackle. I believe this was the second overall pick, or he was a top five pick. Uh, is revealed as a superstar. This is twenty-two year old rookie, at eighty overall, and his ability is an inside stuffer. Stuffs uh, inside zones fairly well. And they also had some guys, I believe, in the defensive backfield that had hidden development traits. Uh, they were all stars. Whatever was left, they were all stars. I'm not going to look them up because I don't remember. And I don't think anybody really cares all that much. So that's the development trait news for the 2042 season. It's probably, it's probably most of what we're going to have for the season. We might see one or two more breakout games before the season's over. Uh, but I think a lot of people have played most of their games, so I don't know who would be playing one uh, at this point in the season. They would just have to try to simulate uh, the breakout. So now we will move on. So we have three head-to-head -head user games to cover uh, fairly quickly. <laughs> it won't be quick. It's I'm going to ramble. Um, three user games to cover. I'm going to go in reverse order through the season here. In week eight, the Browns and Panthers played. I did not see this game. Um, I can tell you some about it. So the big news, this is a 41-7 Browns victory, so not a close game. Uh, Robert R. Overbay had a perfect passer rating in this game. He went 16 for 17 and had three touchdowns. 
no interceptions. So uh, 158.3 passer rating, which is a perfect passer rating. Jarrett Wesley and Antoine Trailer for the Browns both had 100 yards and a touchdown. And then Jimmy Griffith uh, for the Panthers uh, threw three interceptions, which is bad. And I think at least one of those, maybe two of them were returned for touchdowns. He also fumbled away the football. So the Panthers had just no offense whatsoever, really. And uh, that's just the way it's going to be playing the Browns this year. I think that defense is absolutely ridiculous. Um, So not much else to say about that game, really. Uh, Browns ran away with it. And then what's the next one? I believe it would be the Patriots and the Packers. If I can find it, week four. Yeah, week four. Uh, This was a 28-23 Green Bay victory. Uh, Pretty close game, pretty good game. Green Bay was ahead most of the game. New England went right down the field at the beginning of the game uh, on their first drive and scored a touchdown. And then it was pretty much all Green Bay from that point on. New England took a 10-0 lead when they got a field goal later. Uh, but a pick six really turned the tide. And uh, Green Bay went out to a lead. And then New England uh, kept just jumping in the hip pocket and sticking with them. Clinton Hamlin in this game uh, was covered by everybody imaginable on the Packers defense and just kept catching the ball in traffic. Uh, it was crazy. Um, but uh, that's the tight end for the Patriots, for those that don't know. Uh, but Juan Thornhill for the Patriots threw a couple of passes right to defenders. That was probably the difference in this game. Uh, not much of a running game for either team, I'd say. Um, so... Yeah, difference in that game, a little bit cleaner quarterback play from the Packers, and I think that's about all there is to say about that. Now, the interesting game, at least it's interesting to me, is the Week 1, I believe this is the playoff rematch between the Patriots and the Chiefs. And this game was attempted three times. The final time... Uh, Kansas City won 27-17, and I don't know why that was, and I guess I'll, I'll look just a little bit. I'm guessing, yep, it's interceptions are the difference in this one. Oh, boy. Uh, Juan Thornhill had a 61 quarterback rating with two touchdowns and six interceptions, and Dylan Nixon had a 37 quarterback rating with two interceptions and no touchdowns, so both quarterbacks bad. Uh Thornhill throwing six interceptions, probably a big part of the problem. Uh, But what's interesting about this matchup is that it keeps getting started, and uh, one team's leading, and then it ends, and then it always seems in the next matchup the other team's leading, and then maybe it ends again, uh, because I believe I was told that uh, before this game was actually completed in the matchup previous, the Patriots were up big at halftime. So I don't know, and I know we've talked about this before, um, but I'm going to talk about it again. 
I don't know if there's some sort of Groundhog Day situation going on here, or if there's alien involvement. Uh, actually, we know there's alien involvement, but um, I'm going to get to the bottom of it. I, I may have to hire some investigative reporters or something. Uh, we'll see what we can scrounge up out of the podcast budget. Uh, I might need some people to donate money to the podcast, so uh, give me money. But I will get to the bottom of this because there are so many possibilities here. We know that aliens have visited this game before. And uh, if you've been paying attention to real world news, you know that uh, there's a lot of talk about aliens visiting. Just today, uh, a photo was released of a floating cube uh, that a pilot was flying past. Uh, Really fairly good photograph as these things go. Uh, that they didn't know what it was. And, uh, of course, we had somebody from the Israeli, uh, for, former person from the Israeli government come out and say that there's an alien federation, a galactic federation out there, and that uh, our government knows about the aliens, but they didn't want to tell us yet because they wanted everybody to be ready to accept it. I don't know how society gets ready to accept that, uh, at what point we have to be at before we're ready to accept that, but whatever. Uh, so that's going on. And then we've got these mysterious monoliths. If you've been paying attention to those stories, mysterious monoliths popping up around the world. Uh, one popped up in Utah and then got taken away again. Now one is in Ireland. Uh, really reminds me of, uh, the science fiction book, the chronoliths, uh, by Robert Charles Wilson. See if, if you're going to be an author, you got to have an initial in there or you got to have a, you know, your middle name or something like that. So, uh, that's why, you know, we've got, uh, what, what was his name? Overbay, Robert R. Overbay, I think is his name. Uh, he's, he's got the R in there for the middle initial so he can be an author. Uh, Robert Charles Wilson wrote this book that reminds me an awful lot about, of these monoliths just mysteriously popping up called the chronoliths. Uh, I'm really going off on a tangent, but I highly recommend that book. It's a really interesting science fiction book. Uh, so that's happening. That, that could be related to the aliens. Uh, if you've ever seen the Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt uh, movie, I believe it's Edge of Tomorrow, uh, there's a war against aliens, and the aliens are able to reset the day over and over again to correct their mistakes. Uh, and I'm starting to wonder if one of these two coaches, has, or maybe both of them, have gained this ability to uh, reset the game when they don't like how it's going. It's very interesting. I, But, you know, all this stuff is happening, and it all seems like it could be connected. Um, so I will get to the bottom of it, I promise you, and I will do a full report on this podcast. Uh, so anyway, the Chiefs beat the Patriots 27-17, to 17, uh, if you're even still listening to this podcast. Uh, and that was in week one, so... We're in week 14, we got a few more games to go, Uh, at least one head-to-head game left um, that I know of, the Packers and Panthers, there's probably another one in there somewhere, I I think the Browns and Patriots are still still yet to play, so uh, that's it for the game recaps. And finally, I want to do a little bit of an episode of, these guys are professionals? 
Uh, and we're going to talk about what actually happened in the NFL this last week, the uh, Jets and Raiders game. And if you didn't see exactly what happened there, um, the Jets had the lead. What was it? I think it was a four-point lead. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a four-point lead. And they punted it to the Raiders. And the Raiders had the ball with pretty good field position, uh, somewhere around their own 48, if I remember right. Uh, but no timeouts left, and 30 seconds, maybe a little more than 30 seconds left in the game. So they had to go 60-plus uh, yards in about 30 seconds uh, with no timeouts. So it had to be big chunks of yards, and they had to be getting out of bounds, or if they were going down the middle of the field, it had to be big chunks of yards. And uh, they got a, a nice pass to Darren Waller to put them across midfield. Uh, and then I think they threw an, uh, I think they spiked it and then they threw an incomplete pass at some point. And it was below 20 seconds left when uh, the Jets brought a zero blitz, meaning uh, they covered all the receivers one on one and blitzed everybody else. And so with the receivers one-on-one, -on -one, they're hoping to get to Carr uh, quickly. They didn't get to him. And Henry Ruggs, who's one of the fastest players in the league, ran right past the DB. His name is Lamar Jackson, actually. Uh, right past Lamar Jackson, who wasn't even on, on the Jets team at the beginning of the year. Uh, he had been cut in training camp, and then they brought him back, I think, because of injuries. So the Jets had matched up on... Uh, one of the fastest guys in the league, uh, a guy that's, well, let's be honest, not all that great. So that's pretty crazy. This was uh, Greg Williams, uh, Greg Williams of Bounty Gate fame, who's been defensive coordinator for at least a third of the teams in the league at this point, I think. Uh, he's the one that made that defensive call. Now, conventional wisdom says in that situation, the only way this team scores is running past you. So play prevent defense keep everything in front of you, try to funnel it to the middle of the field, make them catch the ball inbounds, and uh, if they hustle down there and spike it, they might get one more play. So, a questionable call to be sure, and uh, Greg Williams and the rest of the Jets just got killed for this, uh, this week, which makes sense. Now, I will say, I... Uh, while conventional wisdom says play as much coverage as you can, you know, at least seven guys, maybe eight, um, I do understand the uh, the counter to that, which is, hey, go put some pressure on this guy into this game now. Um, you know, let's not let him get one more pass that takes it down to the 20-yard line or so, and they have one chance to score from there. Let's take away that chance by going and getting the quarterback and, and it didn't work out for them it's still not a great decision uh, I think you could bring five guys on pressure and play coverage with six and still be able to do what you want to do there um, but at any rate what's interesting to me about this uh, besides that being a bad defensive call is the context in New York is everybody is counting on the Jets to get the number one pick so they can take Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. And we've never seen a team officially tank a season 
uh, to get draft picks. You know, people have talked about maybe doing that before, but, I mean, the front office can want that all they want, and they can trade away talent and kind of give up on the year and things like that. Uh, but as far as coaches and players go, they're not on board with tanking seasons, and they're not gonna, they're not gonna do that. I don't think we've ever seen an NFL team try to do that. Um, this was the only instance where I thought maybe that's happening. Maybe it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but maybe Adam Gase and Greg Williams are on board with getting that number one pick, and they went ahead and made that uh, defensive call just to screw up their chance to win because the Jaguars only have one win. And so the Jets could potentially lose that number one overall pick if they were to win. Um, so maybe, maybe they're trying to sabotage their own players. It That kind of logic falls apart be, unless those coaches know that they're going to be back with the Jets to coach that player. Cause otherwise why would they be on board with tanking? Like, yeah, okay, we're going to tank, but, you're just going to fire me because I went 0-16. So I'm just going to go ahead and do the best I can because I, I don't benefit from getting Trevor Lawrence. So I was kind of interested if maybe there was some secret deal or some extra big severance package or something if if these coaches get fired, if they would be on board uh, with helping them tank uh, to, to make that happen for the Jets. But that all went out the window when they fired Greg Williams like the day after the game. Um, so it was just, it was a really odd thing that went down. And I'm not sure what anybody in that organization is thinking. Uh, it, it's been, if you've paid attention to the NFL at all, at all the Jets with Adam Gase at head coach have just been abysmal. And it was always a weird pairing to have him with Greg Williams because Adam Gase plays offense as conservatively as possible, and Greg Williams plays defense uh, about as reckless as possible. Uh, so it was, it was just weird to have those two together. And then this incident is really the capper, I think, on that whole regime of that coaching staff. They're all It's going to be a house cleaning in New York. So anyway, I thought that was an interesting thing that happened this week, that it, it was like, oh, the Jets are blowing it. Or are they? Are they trying to tank? Okay. Oh, well, they just fired a guy, so if he was trying to help them tank, he, he sure paid a price for that. Uh, weird situation, and that's really far more attention than the Jets should be getting, the six minutes I just talked about that. So we'll move on with our lives and go do other things. That'll do it for today's podcast. Uh, hopefully we get to the playoffs soon, and we have a good finish to the year. Mm-hmm.